Our global yoga community means the world to us. And during these uncertain times, it's important that we support each other now more than ever. So if you haven't already, please check out and support the COVID-19 Yoga Teachers and Studio Support Fund, which has been set up by the yoga mat company Lifeform, who have donated a whole month's worth of profits to get this fund going. And you can donate to support yoga teachers and studios in need right now. And you can nominate a teacher or studio in your local area to potentially receive an award from this fund. Now it's open to everyone, to anywhere in the world, and to find out more, please visit yogasupportfund.com. Welcome to Child's Pose, a yoga podcast hosted by me, Michael James Wong, teacher, author, and founder of Just Breathe, Boys of Yoga, and Sunday School Yoga. Now this podcast aims to deepen your understanding, expand your perspective, and inspire your yoga practice. As I speak to teachers, community leaders, experts, and also ordinary practitioners about the topics and techniques that have evolved and progressed over the years. From the evolution of alignment, to the joys of practicing at home and now online, to what yoga means to the next generation of teachers. My hope with this podcast is that I can share the wisdom from those early years through conversations with some of the pioneers of the practice, but also speak to the next generation of teachers who are doing their part to keep yoga relevant in the real world. So join me each week as we deepen our understanding, expand our perspective, inspire our practice, and discuss yoga. Past, present, and wherever it's going next. Child's Pose. Let's begin. Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of Child's Pose. I'm your host, Michael James Wong, and I'm very excited to chat today to Dustin Brown, who is not just a dedicated yogi, Vedic meditator, teacher, Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. Um, he's also a, a very good friend of mine and an amazing teacher. Now, Dustin himself grew up in Kauai, Hawaii, and after traveling the world as a professional surfer, settled in Australia over 10 years ago. Since being there, he is uh, started his own yoga studio and is the visionary and founder behind Warrior One Yoga, which is an amazing group of yoga studios in Melbourne. Uh, and he brings together not only his martial arts and surfing background, into his yoga practice, but now has really developed through this dedication and a daily practice, something really special in the community down there. His teaching is really built around encouraging the exploration and the potential of the practice through mindful movements. You know, this is a, an amazing conversation to listen into. Dustin and I have spent time uh, over the years, not only teaching together, but spending a lot of times together as, as friends in this community. Um, he's someone that I have an extremely strong bond with as a teacher and an individual and someone I hugely and highly respect. He's really leading the way in this community of yoga around the world. So this is the conversation between Dustin and I as we dive into a really interesting topic around helping students help themselves and learning from him uh, different ideas and methodologies that he uses 
not only in his studio, but on teacher trainings, but also in the space of a really empowering uh, practitioners, new and old, to really take responsibility for their own practice. Hope you guys enjoy, and this is this week's episode with Dustin Brown. Hey Dustin, how's it going, brother? How are you? I'm good, thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. Well, thanks for joining. And, you know, over the course of this podcast, as everyone knows who's listening in, it's really about conversations for teachers, with teachers, about teaching. And on this episode, what I thought would be really interesting and actually um, really insightful to dig into is some different techniques or or different kind of considerations uh, about what it means to be a teacher and how to kind of give ourselves a bit of shape and focus as we're approaching class and practice. And obviously you and I have been friends for a very long time and you're also a studio owner, a teacher, and there's a lot of things that, you know, in this world of yoga and teaching can be optional uh, and also uh, should be uh, important and, and maybe even mandatory. So on this episode, what I wanted to talk to you about is two things that I know you do very specifically, both in your classes and with your student and your teachers. And for me, when I first heard about this, when we first discussed this, I thought it was really interesting because it was why these two things. And so maybe before we jump into those two things, because people are probably asking what they are, you know, tell us a little bit more about yourself. And just so people who are listening kind of know the world of Dustin these days. Mm, um, well, if I could summarize myself quickly, I'm a athletic kid from Hawaii who grew up surfing and like an island boy doing all things involving the ocean and hiking in the mountains and playing in the jungle and being my major focus and passion surfing. I moved to the States, California specifically, and eventually turned my, my passion into a profession and traveled surfing the world for a few years as a pro surfer before settling into Australia because I met a woman, a beautiful girl, and I got married, got fat, found, discovered Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu as a form of fitness and then became a full-blown obsession. And of course, I got so obsessed, I turned it into a profession. And that led me to movement and yoga and through it all, owning a couple studios and really just falling in love with yoga as a lifestyle and a practice. So now have Warrior One Yoga Studios in Melbourne. There's three actual physical sites and we have teacher trainings. And before COVID, we did international yoga retreats and lots of cool fun and stuff like that. So yeah, that's a little bit about my background, but really my passion is human evolution and movement and how movement is a gateway to deeper practices at, such as mindfulness and meditation and just living a better, healthier life. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. And I, I know very much firsthand that that very much is you in the spirit of not only how you are as a teacher, but how you are as 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 a person and an individual. On this episode, what I wanted to talk about was these kind of two things that you really ensure are uh, mandatory when you're teaching and, and, and for your students or for your teachers and how they teach to their students. And can you share what they are and can we, uh, let, let's talk about it because I think they're really interesting. And I remember the first time I heard it, as I said, it kind of was like, oh, that's interesting, but why? But why? Yeah, so the we have 
not a lot of rules for our teachers that teach at the Warrior One Studios because we we really trust them. We hire teachers with experience and great training. So the rules and the things we implement, two rules are this. First up, you have to give your students permission in to move their body as they need, to modify their practice or to up-level as they choose. And the second is to always do some sort of wrist prep or warm up uh, in your practice. And this is mainly speaking to like a movement and vinyasa style, obviously not for meditation and not so important if we're teaching like restorative or yin. So, but in the vinyasa movement based practices, those are the two prerequisites for the teachers. And the why, the why, so why give permission? When we started the studios, we started in a very small space, literally 16 mats. And it was a very diverse uh, crowd and, and student base that came in. And I wanted to be able to cater to everyone in the room. And some days I literally had uh, athletes. And then I also, they brought with them their moms and their aunties. And so I wanted to be able to give these athletes exactly what they needed, but to be able to look after uh, people that needed modifications and variations in the practice and make them feel not that they were doing something less than anyone else, but make everyone in this experience together. I want it to be very inclusive, welcoming, and to make yoga, which even in my experience, which I love, which kind of seemed like a little bit too hard or a little bit kind of like, that's not for me. I wanted to make it feel like no matter who you were, this practice is for you. And it's all about just learning the tools and techniques to do that. So one of the biggest tools I found in my own practice is really looking and seeing each person's needs and asking them and informing them how they can modify and do that in their practice. And that comes from a way of teaching where I think as a teacher, if you are teaching a multi-level class, you're obviously giving options starting from the easiest option to the most advanced and not languaging it in that way. You're languaging in a way where it's all about what feels best and not about the end goal or dequalifying those that need to modify or anything like that. Right. Yeah, I think that's really important. Yeah, I mean, when you started doing that, or I mean, I know you've always done this, how was it received, I guess, first by the teachers when you kind of said this is an important thing? Um, but also, how is it received on the end goal, like with students, you know, athletes, and also moms and aunts? So when I, when I explained it in this way, I think almost every teacher has always been on board because yoga is about inclusivity and bringing people into this and like helping people along the way. And I think that's why everyone starts as a teacher because they want to help people feel, have this experience of yoga. And what I notice is if we pigeonhole people, or if I, I notice in my classes, often when I gave advanced variations and, and handstands and things, or even crow pose and things that are a little bit harder, more challenging, you know, auntie in the back be looking at me and just kind of opting out or just sitting down and looking defeated. So it gave me the challenge to be like, okay, how can I, let one, have options for everyone in the room? And how can I qualify this what I'm doing to them so they want to do it. Like, why Why does auntie want to do a crow pose? Why does she care to do a crow pose? And I explain that, you know, it's about strength of the arms. It's about core control and unifying everything to be, together. 
And if you don't want to do that, you can you can rest in a squat. So just having these options just brings everyone along into the party, like everyone's invited and everyone has a good time while they're there. They don't ever feel like, oh, that guy's too cool or they're the highlight, like everyone's on the same level. Yeah, because a lot of times, especially, you know, these days you can go to a practice or you can go to a studio, go to a class and it can be hugely intimidating, right? You kind of see one mm. guy or girl in the corner who arguably, you know, has a strong practice and if you're new or if you're of a different body type or if you're of a, of a certain age, it can feel like you've kind of walked into maybe a bit of a, a circus school or a cool kids club mm. or, you know, the, this sense of everyone ha knows what's going on except for me. And and I that was my experience when I first started going to yoga, like I was the full noob. And I know it, I know exactly what that feels like. And also I was going to studios with just the best intentions to practice, but often it was met with like, why are you here? Because mostly women practice here and you're a young man. Why are you here? Like, what is your intention of And you know, once, once I hung out a bit and people could see it was there purely for the practice, mm. like I was well-received, but at first it was kind of like intimidating. It was, and I didn't feel welcome. So I really wanted to create a space where it was completely inclusive. And I found that really, it started with how I welcome people at the door, but it continued of how I invite them to explore their bodies in class. And when you give people to do uh, permission to do what feels right, and you simply give them that permission to modify the practice at any time they need, instantly they feel at ease and that they can trust you. Whereas some people naturally can create that without mentioning it, but some people sometimes take you along for the ride and you're not ready and then people have to get off and they don't know if that's okay and they feel ashamed and they often push beyond their limits in a bad way that they're not ready for. And that's when we can start to see injury in the practice and, you know, people pushing too far too soon. And there is a slight potential for that. And so my intention is just longevity in the practice to get everyone to constantly be safe and have a great time. And that's going to, in the end, be the most effective. Yeah. Uh, totally. Now, let me ask you this. Now, say I'm a teacher listening to this or I'm a, a new teacher on, on a teacher training with you. And I go, Dustin, totally get it. And I see so much value in that sense of inclusivity. But where what are what are the actual points of offering permission? And I know you just said like welcoming people at the front yeah. door. What are some what are some tangible ones? So some tangible things that you can do in your classes when you lead them, right when you begin the class, uh speak to it give people even after you know you example i would start my class with a say we start in a comfortable seat we start with silence and some breath work very calming and grounding as soon as we start a movement practice i'll give them a few moments to move into and feel into their body and usually i always maybe direct that slightly but give them a bit of play and it's then that at the very beginning of class that i explain I have a sequence planned for you. Uh, we might be looking at these elements, or I might not mention this depending on the day, but I'll always say, remember, this is your practice. Take what you need and leave what you don't from it. You can always rest or modify if needed. And if you need to up level, please feel free. 
that's literally my languaging. And I say that 99 out of 100 classes I teach. And that's, it's right away. People feel comfortable like, oh, I can rest. Okay, cool. I need to drop a knee. That's cool. And like, as I continue to teach through my class, if I notice people need variations and they don't know them, I will speak directly to those variations that are necessary. If I don't see them, I'll, I might not offer them, but it, I'll try, I try to know my, my classroom and give variations that are appropriate to the people there or speak in a way so that it's leveled in a way that it works for them. As an example, if we're doing say twisted lizard lunge, we could just go into lizard lunge and let the toes flex and the knees uh, open a slightly. You could then, you know, if you would like a little more opening, use your hand to gently press the knee away. If you'd like to twist further, take the arm and reach to the back of the room. If you'd like to also stretch your hip flexors and quad, let's go ahead and grab the back ankle and kick. Notice how that helps you rotate open more if that's what you need. And it's always, it's not like I try and eliminate the end goal sort of mentality that deeper or bigger is always better. Mm. But how do you feel here? Do you feel a, a sense of balance, stability, and control? How's your breath? So bring these points of inquiry. So it's not just about the pose. There are, of course, the alignments and these, these points, but every, and speak to the uniqueness of bodies and things like this. And of course, I'm not doing this in every single pose, but throughout the, the arc of the class, these things and points are mentioned and it creates an environment that's congruent through all of my classes where people feel safe to always rest if they need. And if they're feeling good, I'm giving them the tools to safely go deeper and further. Mm, yeah, I think that's such, such a powerful insight to remember is that, you know, it is not it is not the pose doing the work. It is the pose just being, you know, the, the vessel for the opportunity to to inquire, to, to understand, yeah. to notice. Mm. In other 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 points of of permission that that you can find in uh, in class, um, and I think one of the things that I, I find quite uh, important when we're together and I'm in your classes is, you know, the permission that's offered, but you always have, you know, seventeen modifications or you know um, you know adaptions or different ways to work through. Uh, a posture or a moment how important is not only the permission but also the actions that you're armed with off the back of it yeah i think just having a few go-to's for what you have planned in class and just think about who you are teaching to on a regular basis if if you're teaching in studios you kind of start to get to know your classroom and who's going to be around and specifically think to those people Ah, oh, Sue in the back is going to probably have to drop a knee. So, huh? Oh yeah. I can just add, like, you'll start to see at the points in the transition, if you actually practice your sequences yourself, which I hope you do, that you can see where these points are necessary. And then you could easily add them in. You're like, oh, to modify, I would just set a knee down or I would bend an elbow here. I would take less range of motion and often for most, if you think about it, most yoga poses, that's usually it. How do you modify it? You drop a knee, you bend an elbow, you put a hand down, or you take less range of motion. 
So it's not too hard to modify really anything or take a variation of it. So just do your practice and, and literally you watch your students practice. You have an idea of what their range of motion is. And if you don't, watch them more closely and try to imagine what it would be like to move in their body. I'm very fortunate that at one point in my life, I was an actual rock and had the flexibility of a rock and have worked my way the other way. <laughs> so I know what it's like and, I have, and I've had to work through those levels and progressions to get where I'm at. And I understand that some people are just naturally open and they have that gift where they can just go there. But put yourself, if you are that person, watch, notice, and think, how can I be of service to the people that are in my classroom to help them progress to where I want to take them? It's just another opportunity to serve in a really beautiful way. And as a teacher, we all have that desire to some point. So how can you make that? And ultimately, it comes down to how do you want your students to feel in class? Yes, you want them to teach and do your awesome sequence and have this experience. How do you want them to feel? You want them to feel like they're safe. Their teacher has thought about this. They've been there with them. How do you want to feel in class, Michael? What, what are some points that really like, what do you want to feel from a practice? I mean, for me personally, I want to feel a sense of openness in the body, but a non-judgmental space where I can actually just kind of release the weight of the rest of my day. I want to learn mm. something and I want to feel inspired. Um, and I think for everyone, it's different. And every day it's going to be different for me. Some days I want to feel great and move fast and do lots of things. Other days I want to feel like there is permission to not do anything, even if everyone around me is doing stuff. Mm. So do you, do you use any language like that in your classes where you give that sort of permission? Mm. I know you, you, you always say something. Yeah. I mean, you and I have very similar, very similar ways of approaching it, if not the same. And, and I, you know, it, it is exactly that, that, that methodology or ideology that we need to give people an understanding that they're here for themselves and they're here to investigate and inquire. I do remember very early on uh, when I was, I was a student, I wasn't even a teacher yet, and uh, I was in a practice and I was kind of middle of the room where you could see everyone. And, you know, as always in those kind of early years, you kind of look around and you kind of semi judge everyone of who's doing what. And I remember uh, very distinctly, I was in a practice and this was actually in Australia at the time. And I was in a room and there was maybe 50 or 60 people and we had just started practice maybe five or six minutes in and um, this, this, this guy, maybe two or three rows in front of me, you know, we were, we were still in sun salutations and he just lay down in Shavasana and stayed, and stayed there for the next, right, so the, for the next 45 minutes, just stayed there. And I remember doing the whole practice with having one eye on him the whole time going, what are you doing? You paid, money, you paid money to be here to just lay down. And I was genuinely frustrated at him, right? Genuinely frustrated at him. I'm also at the same time here doing the whole sequence going, yeah, this pose, that pose, you know, in my mind going, I'm actually doing this. What are you doing? And it took me a very, very long time to realize that actually neither one of us was wrong. We were both doing the practice you know, and, and it's very likely I missed the cue at the beginning and it said, do what you need, right? 
take what you need, leave what you don't. Because for me, the mentality was I'm here to do, I'm here to do the things that you're asking me to do. And um, it's one of those things that, that has stuck with me. And it's a thing that I, I, I now proudly am, am that guy who can happily go into Shavasana seven or eight minutes into class. And I think, you know, a lot of my students will know that where it's like, if I come to your practice, you know, we might do the first 10 to 15 minutes together, but you know, it's a, it's a strong likelihood I might Shavasana and, uh, you know, enjoy just the space, the room. But I think it's important, though, that that sense of permission that we can forget that if we don't offer that up front because of how a, a yoga space is designed, because of how a culture of a yoga studio is designed, because people are genuinely nice human beings who are supportive and generally and, and usually polite, that there is this sense of just going with what the teacher is saying and and just kind of, well, that might not even be right for me, but I don't want to disrupt or disrespect them. And they haven't said anything. And I just, you know, I don't want to make waves. Exactly. And also, also, you think about other fitness modalities. If people are new to the practice and they're coming from team sports or other type of, of movement practices, often that's not an option. Yeah. Like opting out, resting, things like that. You'll get yelled at. And in a group class, especially, you don't want to be the odd one out. And my studio doesn't have any mirrors, but some some studios have mirrors everywhere mm. and you can see everyone and everyone's kind of can see you. And so it almost feels kind of like that dance environment and you don't want to be a bad dancer. Right. So it turns, it turns the practice, which should be this beautiful practice into a little bit of a performance. And yeah. I think we as teachers have the ability to kill that immediately and make it that place where it's a safe place to exactly that, to experience yoga and your at this unification of self. Yeah. And I, I, I totally, I totally think that's important as well. And I think as teachers, it is like it or not your responsibility to control the safety of the room. Mm. It, it, there has to be an aspect of us as the teachers being responsible for everyone's permission and safety. Well, I remember when I was first starting to teach, there was an aspect of, you know, I remember very clearly um, I had a teacher at the time who said, you know, don't start class, you know, because there's always kind of like that, let's say there's those five minutes before class where everyone's setting up and it's kind of chatting amongst friends in little circles and pockets of people are saying hi, you know, and we said, don't be the teacher that is always chatting to the cool kids crowd. Don't be the teacher who's always kind of putting on you know a big show at the beginning spread yourself out around the room say hi to everyone but really go to the people who are by themselves people who are clearly new people who are clearly not sure of the environment you know the people who are comfortable and chatting they, they kind of know the score they know what's going on and if you participate in those conversations all the time you're creating separation in class you're creating already kind of this maybe attention or stress for people going oh well the, you know it, it's it feels a bit like high school all over again mm. yeah that's such a good point you can you can see them the p is like as if you're observant as soon as they walk into the studio if they haven't been there before they're looking around like it's new you, they kind of have an energy and as all it takes is a few kind words a little check-in and you instantly change that from being like, oh, there's cool kids that they feel invited 
to that chat and that conversation. And I think, yeah, the teacher, you have that ability, do your best is to make that space where a space where you would want to go, like put yourself in that same, same scenario, walking into someplace completely new, you're a little bit nervous, make it a place that you would want to go into. And how would you want your students to feel when they walk into that space? Mm. Think about that. Yeah. I think that's important. Yeah. I think it's, that's all it takes is just a little conscious thought, a little conscious thought behind it. And you'll start to pick up on these things and be like, I have the ability to change people's experience. And as soon as you make people feel that connection to you and the space and that comfort there, you're already halfway there. They're going to have a great practice. As soon as you can start to drop some of those walls, as soon as you allow them to relax and come into this experience on themselves where they're not pressured to perform, but simply to practice, to feel and have this, you're going to have this beautiful experience of yoga. Mm, really, really true. And they're going to be safe and walk away happy and not, you know, hurt themselves. Also important. Yeah. This podcast is part of Sunday School Yoga, an international teacher's community, an online teacher training platform, supporting new and developing teachers as they learn, share, and grow together. So make sure you check out sundayschoolyoga.com to find out more about how to get involved and to explore the growing selection of online courses you can enroll in from anywhere in the world. I mean, let me ask the, the question that would maybe be the on the other end of the spectrum. What, what, what's your view on student accountability then in practice? You know, kind of, you know, there, there's an aspect of people using permission maybe as a substitute for laziness, if that's even a thing. Yeah. I mean, do you, do you have an opinion on not, not necessarily calling people out? I mean, there, there's an aspect sometimes in the practice you see these days with different maybe styles of approach of, of a call out culture of like, please stay in the pose please do this like this is the effort mm. i mean wh where do you sit on that line um it's a fine line and to know the know your audience again and know who you're talking to i i i do not like when people give up because things are difficult or because they get tough um and i often i i, I lead in a, a playful way but things do get challenging. But even in those challenging times, I try and do it with a bit of humor and a little bit playfulness. And I notice that gets most people through. However, if I know, notice people opting out and taking the rest, just anytime, you know, chair pose comes around or things like this, then I'll mention it. And I won't do it in such a specific call out, but I'll just be like, you know, if you're taking uh, your water sips every time, and I'll say it to the room, I'll be like, you know, if you're taking sips of water every time it's chair pose, Hey, I get it, but uh, maybe you kind of need to check in with yourself. What what's going on there? <laughs> yeah, you totally. Know, just do it. Make it in a, a playful, playful, jokey way, because you know you are trying to get people to break through little barriers. And laziness and procrastination is a huge one. And let's face it, people need more locust pose, and they probably need more chair pose in their life. Mm. So they're trying to avoid it. Yeah, and uh, crack the whip with with love and humor and that that's how i try and do it Same. and yeah. just be like i want to stop right now too 
But let's face it, you want to eat you want to eat those donuts later. Let's do this now. Come on, and just just keep it light and just playful. And I often turn the lens to myself mm. instead of 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 pointing out specific people. Be like, yeah, I know that usually I want to give up in chair pose too, but this is what's gonna allow us to do an epic blah 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 blah. This strength correlates to less low back pain and better health of life. And, and just like the why, again, qualifying it. Like, I know you want to stop, and so do I. I'm right there with you, but we should do this because X, Y, Z. I think that's really important as well. I think as teachers as well, being able to put the onus on ourselves or use ourselves, I mean, I'm going to say in a self-deprecating way, but more in a, in a light um, you know, humorous way to put the attention on ourselves to give people permission to see that it's not a negative, but uh, a shift or a different perspective. And I think that mm. is a, you know, an opportunity and a responsibility of the teacher not to not go, hey, Bob in the back row, come on, everyone's waiting on you. Yeah, that personally as well, like I've been in classrooms where they're like, blue shorts, what is that? And it, it, yeah. it, it makes you scared to be wrong or to, to do anything out of line. And you immediately like, where's the permission? You're calling people out and like, not by name, by like short color. Um, and I'm thinking of a specific teacher, but literally I think that it's so important to realize that when you, it went, if you're disciplining someone, the authenticity is for people to be defensive or recoil. And that's not helpful to what you're actually trying to do in that moment. But if you make them have a little, uh, a little giggle, you give them a good incentive and you give them that perspective that like, I know I've been there before, I'm right there with you. And not that like you're above them, and that you can do this so easily and they should be able to do it, what's wrong with them. Mm. I think, I find, I find the, like these little subtle things are underlying and if you can help eliminate them or just notice that they're there and take them away, it frees people to do the work. Yeah. Because so many people will put up little barriers, little barriers, ah, he has attitude, ah, he, but take all those things away. Yeah. I think that's really, really, <laughs> I mean, it's really important. I mean, that, you know, this exactly what you said of, of shame and guilting people in a class, it recoils them, you know, physically, the body tightens up, pulls back, potentially moves into, you know, unsafe actions or ranges, but you also recoils our, our vulnerability, our willingness to participate, our, you know, our spirit about the practice. And, and, you know, like you said, I mean, is there's no benefit in the bigger picture of that. And sometimes while maybe the, the call out is, has a sincere purpose, but uh, I guess, I mean, what I always say is, and you know, this is, it's the, the delivery is just as important as maybe the information. Yes. The way it's said is just as important as the message, hundred mm -hmm. percent, especially with, when you're correcting or criticizing someone and like mm, yeah just do it with a with tact and finesse and you'll just notice the environment will be just lovely yeah such a difference
And so then if we evolve that a little bit to right now, where obviously, um, you know, there's been a, a very big upswing in teaching online just by nature of circumstances, can you talk to or give us any insights around that sense of permission when you're teaching through a screen? Obviously, it's a bit different, but at the same time, where is the line of permission, but then accountability versus, you know, what you can actually see? And obviously, you can't get into their space, all those kind of things. What I mentioned yesterday when I taught class, I literally said, I'm not there to watch you and give you the same variations I normally would in class. So if I offer anything that's inappropriate for today or needs to be modified or left out, no, just like always, I want you to look after yourself and for you to take what you need and leave what you don't so you walk away from this practice feeling amazing. And because you need to give, as always, that same statement of permission is also putting the responsibility in their hands to do the right thing when things could potentially go awry because you are not in their body you're not driving the plane so to speak but they are so you need to make sure that they know at any point if they need to land or (laughs) or to step off they can Mm. i think that's true just to really make it clear that you're going to do your best to look after them sorry to answer a specific question online you're going to do your best to look after them but you're looking through a screen, you can't see all the details, you're going to need their full attention and for them to do that on their own quite a bit. Totally. Uh, I, I mean, for me, I, I think it's important as well. I mean, the way that I always look at this and approach it, and I mean, we've discussed this before, is is I, I think that as a student, when you're coming into practice and, uh, you know, the, the outlook should always have, you know, three aspects of respect right because respect is everything when we look at the practice as well i think a lot of times we can be tempted as students to walk into practice and hand ourselves over to the teacher right i am here as a piece of clay to be molded do as you will with me for an hour and at the end i trust that you'll have something of 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 benefit that's been shaped during this time right i mean uh maybe more of a traditional or esoteric philosophy of I need to be molded by the teacher where we kind of can miss out on in a huge aspect of this is, is that self-respect, right? This, does this feel right for me? Is this appropriate for me? Does this morally make sense for me? And I think it's always an aspect of, you know, when we step into this as a student and maybe as a teacher, uh, when we're cultivating this, it's to, to ensure that there's three elements of respect, which is respect for the teacher, respect for the practice and respect for ourselves that should all have an, an equal attention in the practice, and none of them should really um, outweigh any of the other ones. Yeah, that's a really good point. It really is about that. It's like respecting all the elements, and when it's when those things are honored, it's just it's safe, it's deep, it's meaningful. Mm. Mm. So, what I'd love to ask you and probably the which is the the one that is is might seem a bit more precarious is this we'll go back to the two rules that you have for for teaching and let's talk yeah. about wrist warm-ups and why why is that such a prerequisite, prerequisite and, and definite personally i found that anytime i did classes 
um, didn't warm up my wrists. I just didn't have this proper connection in my down dog. And I developed a little bit of a shoulder impingement early on in my yoga journey. And then I started researching opening a yoga studio and I was looking at statistics. <laughs> uh, and the number one reason why new students stop practicing yoga is because of wrist pain or injury. Really? And in my journey, learning to do arm balances and handstand, wrist prep is one thing that one, made my hands incredibly strong and just seemed functional for everything else I was doing. I was also training jujitsu and a wrist prep warm up, turning my hands and taking my wrists and kind of shoulders and forearms through all ranges of motion just was life changing in itself. So I knew the benefits of just doing that for me when it came to RSI pain and strain and how that's so common in our everyday culture. It's also really good for your posture, but knowing that that little fact alone, that's one of the number re one reasons why people don't come back to the practice or a vinyasa or, you know, power yoga practice is because they get wrist injuries. And if you look at like other modalities, such as gymnastics and things that are heavily reliant on the wrists, they have routines, sequences, and protocols before any of those things. So injuries are prevented. Mm. And I think it's only intelligent as movement professionals, as a yoga teacher, that's what you are. You're teaching movement professionally. You need to know the biomechanics of the body and how to prevent injury. And that's just a super easy, effective way to eliminate one of the number one reasons why people would not come back out of the practice just by doing a little bit of wrist prep. And literally it takes like, I usually spend probably two minutes or more, but you could do it in a minute, a minute before any down dog, you just move through the hands, do basic wrist movements while bearing some load. And it's amazing how one, it feels amazing. And then two, you're ready to go. Mm. So let, let's make this helpful and practical for people listening. Can you talk us through like a one minute or a two minute wrist prep sequence that you do? Sure. Start in tabletop with your hands right underneath your shoulders, your fingers spread wide, grip your fingertips into the mat as you externally rotate through your shoulders, wrapping your triceps back. Start to do circles over your wrists with your shoulders, tracing the outline of your palms. Do five circles to the right, five circles to the left. And then while keeping the shoulder blades protected, start to do like a little kind of elephant walk from one palm to the other and turn your fingers to face the sides of the room. If you pick up one palm, open and close the hand as you press the other palm firmly down. Keep rotating your hands all the way around so that your fingertips face your knees. And in your tabletop, fingertips flip back, start to do little cat and cow movements, bending your elbows and getting to your wrist further. Take one more breath and then walk your fingertips all the way forward and turn them inwards so they're facing the midline. Bend your elbows to the side and start to do little side bends as you bend your elbows deeply, bounce up and down through the shoulders. And one last thing, flip the palms to face up, make two fists and slide your knuckles together with the back of your wrist and forearms on the mat. Take a big breath in and bend your elbows deeply, hovering your chin and chest towards your hands. As you exhale, straighten your arms to your desired amount, rolling out through your shoulders, getting everything a nice stretch. Do that two more times. And then you can sit back under your shins, give your hands a little shake out. 
And that's just one quick little easy way that I would do in most practices for myself and in public. And like you could add on a million and one of other things. There's a lot of great resources online for any teachers that are looking like example on my Instagram TV, like my IGTV, I've had, if you go there, I've had a wrist prep sequence and also on warrior ones one. There's two actually, the one with Ninja the dog has almost 10K views and you get to watch Ninja help me out. <laughs> yeah. Rest in peace, nice. my little puppy. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, it's so And for everyone easy. listening, we'll put those links in the show notes so you kind of know where to find these with Dustin as well. Thank you. And um, yeah, it's just, I, fi- I find in my practice, it's a non-negotiable and it just feels good. It allows everything to work properly. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm I'm a big believer in that work, not only in my own personal practice, but in that sense of teaching. Uh, I will say this honestly that you know, in the past few years, it's been more of, of uh, an awareness and approach because of our friendship and the the things that I lean on you for, you know, for learning and understanding. Um, you know, and I tell this to you often as well, how much inspiration I get from you, not as a person or not only as a, not as a person, not only as a person, but you know, in, in the expertise of, of how much depth and range that you do have for the practice. And I, I think people listening to this, I think it's really important to recognize as well that how even a simple awareness and appreciation of things like wrist prep actually allow people to ultimately feel like they belong in the practice, feel capable in a practice. I mean, there is nothing worse than, you know, having new students who injure themselves, uh, have wrist injuries and just never come back. And they've actually missed a huge moment or uh, shift in, in their life and their practice because they just didn't have a little bit of awareness on just making sure their wrists were warm and steady. And I think, this ideology of you know the the basic need for risk prep goes back to your first point of permission inclusivity you know giving people a sense of belonging and a sense of allowance and you know looking at it both from the i guess the the side of of personality or a side of um, spirit as well as the side of functional movement And just like if you think about what most modern humans do on a day-to-day, they're using their hands for devices or they're on computers. They're often not bearing weight on their hands. And then you ask them to come into yoga practice and do that for quite a bit of the practice and then move through like Mm. strength building movements while bearing weight on these structures that don't do that for most of the day. So it only makes sense that you give these places a good proper looking after before just like any other you know think peak poses think you wouldn't go and put your spine into full wheel without doing lots of prep before but if you go straight into full wrist flexion and you haven't done any of that or any prep all day that's not probably or excuse me wrist flexion or extension either way it's probably not going to be the best thing so just to think about that prep for every every little bit yeah prep for everything. I mean, and, and that's really important when we look at class planning and sequencing and, you know, but just this idea of prepping for the practice, right? And, and that's so powerful. I mean, it, it's really interesting across the board talking to different teachers about different perspectives. There's a huge amount of similarities and different aspects of differences. Um, you know, over the time and over the years, 
for you, um, you know, what's what's different now? I mean, what do you know now that you didn't kind of, or, you know, what's important now that maybe wasn't as important when you first started teaching? Like I've been saying, I think one of the most important points I've been really trying to focus on is just what is the overall message and feeling that I want people to walk away from the practice with? Because... I, once he, I guess when I first started teaching, one of the major focuses was like just getting through the sequence and saying the pose names right and yeah. making sure like I didn't for, forget anything. Mm-hmm. And then it got, and then it got to a point where that all kind of made sense and flowed. And then, then it really became about this, making it a refined experience of how are people feeling? Because the movements are great. Like I know it's going to be fun. It's going to be balanced. People are going to feel good from that. But how can I make sure that like there's a, there's some sort of like you said learning, some sort of connection, some sort of growth that happens every time they walk through these doors? Because if that happens, they're gonna come back. Because I would come back if that was happening for me. Mm. So that's that's really where the focus is. Like, how can I refine my offering, what I what I'm putting out there, so it's received how I would like to feel. Like, how do I want to feel? How can I make people feel how I would want to feel? I want to feel my best. How can I do that for other people? How can I refine my offering to make that happen? So that's really been my focus kind of lately, like just just by doing these things. Like, And it's funny because it seems so simple, but these first little two things that we kind of chatted about are really the gateway to looking at a lot of these things on a deeper level, I think. Yeah, totally true. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, I mean, it reminds me of kind of a, a, a quote that I think works really well in this. And uh, I'm not going to get the quote exactly right just because I don't have it in front of me, but it, it it's along the lines of, of people won't always remember the words that you say, but they'll always remember how you made them feel. Mm-hmm. Right. And I mean, it's a quote that most people have heard before, but Actually, when you look at that in a class setting, it's it's in that sense of people won't always remember the postures you teach or the sequence grouping that you share, but they will remember, you know, I just felt like safe. I just felt mm. like I had a moment where everything was a bit easier, right? They have, we have these feelings that we walk away. I can, I can remember countless classes with, with um, countless teachers where I... I know the feeling of being in their in their rooms, but I could not for the life of for the life of me tell you any postures we did. I can tell you for the life <laughs> of me any sequences we did, but I know that if I go to this person's class, right? I mean, there's and you know, there's, I mean, there's there's a teacher who I mean, she's Canadian, lived in Australia, she lives in Bali. You know, Persia, Persia Juliet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She's an amazing teacher. Check her out as well. She's one of those teachers for me that I mean, I always practice with her a lot in Australia, like. I have no idea what we did in class, but you just go in there and you feel seen, you feel safe, you don't feel judged, but you just feel like this is the practice, right? And there's there's countless teachers and occasions like that for me. Um, and I think it's it's important to recognize that that the experience that we offer and the class that we uh, are are holding space for is not just the postures. It's so true. It's so true. It's like, 
you probably can't remember any of the poses, but you remember the jokes the teacher said or mm-hmm. the little insight that they shared. And you remember that compliment they gave you or that nice thing they said or that how they lifted you up when you were having that really crap day. Those are the moments that really matter. And the practice and the movements, they're important. Don't get me wrong. Like I'm super passionate about it. But if we want to look at it as an overall, what's the yoga? What is it? Why are we doing it? What is it giving to us overall? It should give us this beautiful kind of sense of unity on not just a personal level, but one that then radiates out to others around us and something that we can share. Mm. True. Yeah. So I have a last question for you as we wind up this chat because, um, you know, as always, I mean, you and I chat often and we share lots about the practice and, and, Uh, discuss or argue about different ways we can look at things. I mean, we don't argue as much anymore, if at all. But, you know, where we are now and where your practice and your teaching is going, what do you want your legacy to be as a teacher? That's a really good question. I'm not sure yet. But I would love to just make the practice accessible to the world. And without watering down tradition whatsoever, truly just allow people to see that and really help a lot of people to see that yoga is just a way to be a better human on this planet and to live live a better human experience. Yeah. That's what that, I think that's what why I'm here. Like that's what I really want to accomplish just to help as many people to see that this path isn't about isn't about touching your toes and isn't about the handstand. It's not about om and namaste. It's about living your best human experience and making a difference within yourself. Connecting to that love and that goodness within you so that you can shine that out into the world around you. I think that's what I'm here to do. Help people connect to their heart. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. And I mean, I very much believe that is you and what you do. And you see that come to life, not only just in the character of your, um, that, that you keep, but also in the community that you've built and how, you know, uh, you've built such a beautiful and positive, supportive community um, that really embodies these same ideas. And, um, you know, it, for for communities to grow and for the practice to grow, you know, they they must have, uh, you know, points of inspiration. And you being that for not only the Warrior One in Melbourne, Australia community, but very much for the global community. So thank you for, for that. And thank you for, for sharing and for, for being you, of course. Thank you, brother. It means a lot. Thank you so much. So, I mean, this is how we're going to wind up this episode. And, you know, as always, these conversations are always different and unique and interesting to look at different aspects of the practice. Uh, I think if you've been listening in through this episode, there's some great inspiration to take on board about a sense of understanding as teachers, the need for permission, the, um, you know, prerequisite for warm up. But overall, that sense of allowing people to feel like they belong in the space and allowing the practice to be something that serves a purpose to everyone. Dustin, if people want to stay connected or they want to get in touch 
what are the best ways or places to find you or classes or things that you're up to? Uh, at the moment, the best way to check me out would be via socials. You can check me out on D Brown Yoga on Instagram. Warrior One Yoga is this, uh, is our studios. And if you want to shoot me an email, info at warrioroneyoga.com.au. Love to chat or say hi. And of course, any of the socials, drop me a DM or say hello. Great. And as well, as I said before, we'll drop some of those links and notes uh, or links in the show notes for uh, the IGTVs and different little preps and sequences. Um, really useful, really helpful and, you know, great ways to look at the, the practice overall. So thanks everyone for listening in to this episode. As always, uh, I'm here to help guide these conversations. Um, if these are making sense, if you're enjoying them, if you want to hear about other topics or have suggestions, uh, please get in touch. And you can do that by, you know, just following along to the podcast and you can send us messages at Sunday School on Instagram. Um, thanks so much for listening in and uh, we'll see you guys next time on Child's Pose.